everybody, and welcome to another new edition of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me as always is my co-host Mark. Mark, how are you today? Well, hey there, Sir Alan of the Roundtable there. I am doing great. I am extra pumped about our episode today. Absolutely. Me too, Mark. You know, because today we're going to feature another... Live from Pawnee presents Pawnee Spotlight. That's right. Another Pawnee Spotlight. This one's from a really interesting perspective many people don't think about. I absolutely agree. You know, today's spotlight features casting director and two-time Primetime Emmy Award winner, Dorian Frankel. Wow. Yeah. No, she uh, she was terrific. Uh, we had her on the show uh, just actually in the last week or two. So it's been pretty recent. And yep. uh, we had a great conversation. We learned. I can, I can honestly say I learned a lot on this one. And it's not that I have it in other interviews, but I think in particular, I just didn't know a lot about the casting process. And right, for, right. for me, I, it was pretty informative and, and a good, fun interview, good conversation. Well, yeah, yeah. She was not afraid to have us ask just very entry-level questions like just what what's your process or what, you know, what makes it tick? And, and she was uh, very forthcoming with her answers. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we certainly appreciate her taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Mark, should we get in right into this or do we have something else to do first? Well, you know, Alan, uh, if I may, uh, before we play our interview with Dorian Frankel, I uh, I have a message for our viewers. Mark, they're not viewers. But maybe you don't you don't know. Anyway, I, I wanted to let Constantine's uh, throngs of adoring fans know that although we won't be including it in today's show, the new smash hit segment, Aww. Constantine's Comedy Corner, <laughs> will be coming back next week in our coverage of season five, episode two, Soda Tex. Huh. Uh, you said smash hit, right? Yeah, smash hit. That's what our HR guys told me. Huh. Well, you know, uh, you know what's great about the phrase uh, smash hit, Mark? What's that? Uh, it sounds great, uh, and it's purposely vague so that, uh, you know, can either be proven nor disproven. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a smash hit, and uh, <laughs> and is gonna be back next week. <laughs> and he has throngs of adoring fans, huh? That's new to me. Yeah, he doesn't. Well, like, is that an Alan, ass or a fan? He has a throng no, of a fan. No, no, look. If you look at our mailbox, if you look at our mailbox, sure, it's you, chock it's, full. It's bursting. It's bursting. It's full of mail for Constantine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mark. Well, first, that's a Fisher Price mailbox. Yeah, it's it's, it's Fisher <laughs> Price. I know. I know. And second, because it's very tiny, there's like three letters in there, and I think one's made out of plastic. It came with the mailbox. It's 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 pretty small. Yeah, there's only like three three things in there. Oh yeah, and one of them's from Harvey. It just says Constantine, go away. <laughs> well, they still don't like each other. It, it, look, it's a well known fact. That I think uh, it, that true genius, true genius, is often not readily recognized when one encounters it. Yeah, I saw that movie. True, no, it was a real genius. Never mind. Uh, well, how about tomfoolery? Is that pretty easy to spot too? Oh yeah, you can usually make that out right away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what you're saying is Constantine's Comedy Corner will return next week, right? That's correct, Sir Alan. All right. Fair enough. Well, should we get on with our interview with Dorian Frankel then? Yes, please. <laughs> All right, Mark. Then here we go. All right. We have a very special guest today with dozens of casting credits spanning hundreds of actors, television episodes, and movies. 
Dorian Frankel has been instrumental in creating memorable characters in shows and movies such as Veep, Baskets, Future Man, Bless This Mess, Single Parents, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Kroll Show, and of course, Parks and Recreation. Please welcome Dorian Frankel. Hi, Dorian. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. We've been looking forward to this for a while now. Absolutely. Well, uh, I will will do my best to share whatever you want to (laughs) hear. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, you know, um, sometimes we try to link these interviews to specific episodes, especially for actors and directors. But I think in your case, you've got a, hu- a total of 118 episodes that you're credited for in Parks, you know, because you came on in season two. Uh, right. How did you actually come on? What, what was the story behind that? So I had worked for Allison Jones, who cast the pilot in the first season, and I had moved on from that job and I was working somewhere else and I had done I think I had done one season of Curb Your Enthusiasm and she when this show got picked up for a second season which maybe people did not know was going to happen she was not she was too busy to to do it um so she recommended me I'm sure they met several people and I remember going up to the office and sitting around and talking to Greg Daniels and Mike Schur and some of the other writers. And, you know, I hadn't done a whole lot on my own at that point. And I, uh, some, somehow they took a chance on me. I'm sure a lot of it was Allison's recommendation. Um, but, yeah, they, they gave me a, a shot and I started right in on season two. Nice. Awesome. Who, who was the first person you cast? Do you remember? No, I know, uh, I know the character of Joan Calamezzo was early on because I remember something really important about that. I had worked for Allison when she was doing The Office and I understood the tone of The Office is, you know, very straight, very understated, sort of people who weren't necessarily um, a, a comedic in a, in a sort of a, a broader way. Not that Parks, Parks is also very understated, <laughs> but I remember I brought in a number of women for that role and they were sort of straighter, not necessarily the comedy powerhouse that Mo Collins is. And I believe Paul Feig directed that episode. And I, it just became clear after that first session with producers um, that we needed like a great comedy genius for that role. So I did another session with that sort of person. And of course, Mo Collins is, is you know, at the top of that list. So uh, sure. but she was red and she was awesome. And uh, so at that point, I remember thinking, okay, I, I get how this is a little bit different from The Office. I think, you know, the tone sort of evolved and I sort of, you know, became more familiar with what worked for the show and what didn't. But that was definitely early on. Um, I, I don't the first very first breakdown I put out, there was a mime that I think never got used. <laughs> this was also, you know, we put things out on this uh, website called Breakdown, Breakdown Express and agents submit there. And it used to be you know, that they got paper breakdown. So this was, we were, they were electronic by this point, but we were still not necessarily doing everything on the website. I think we were probably calling out some appointments and setting things up. So I don't have necessarily everything from, from the very beginning here, but it looks like first breakdown I put out was on July 13th, 2009. Oh, wow. Wow. It was Ed, uh, Male, mid to late thirties, a police officer who works at the Pawnee, Indiana City Hall. Ed is likable and earnest, if not an intellectual giant. He's handsome, enthusiastic, and comfortable <laughs> with himself. Uh, so this might have been 
the role that turned into Louis C.K. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Ed to Dave is in a big, big jump. So that sounds right. Yes. So I know we read people for that at first. Wow. Um, And, you know, we read sort of kind of good looking guys who are maybe not, you know, intellectuals. Um, And I think it was Amy Poehler who, you know, had had known Louis C.K. and just thought that his his particular take on it, although it wasn't the sort of classic hunky love interest. Right. He would be he would really bring something very unique and special to it, which. I believe he did. Yeah. So I take no credit for anything in that. Like, <laughs> a bunch of great people. They were awesome. But they went the other way. Well, Mo was a terrific get for sure. She was one of the first people we actually interviewed on our show. So we are, oh, cool. we're eternally That's grateful right. to her for sure. And, uh, I mean, who, who else could it possibly have been in retrospect? You know? It's hard to imagine. Like, and someone else said that about, uh, you know, name a sitcom or a show where it's hard to imagine anyone else in the role. And of course I said, Amy Poehler as, as Leslie, cause I just can't imagine yeah. anyone else, but you're right about Mo Collins as well as Joan Calamezzo. It's just, you know, yeah. she nailed it. No obviously. one else could be Joan. Yeah. I mean, look, there would, there would have been, you know, every actor brings something different and there are other wonderful actors who would have brought something very different that, you know, sure. 10 years later we might've thought, Oh, it couldn't possibly be anything else. And, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's the way it goes, you know? Yeah. That's definitely the way it goes. Dorian, how did you get started in Hollywood and, and like in eventually casting? Did you start out as an actress or act in the actual casting department? No, I started out acting. I did a lot of improv and sketch comedy in the 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, at a certain point, I thought it was time to grow up and get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about casting because I had met a lot of casting directors and I sort of felt like it made sense. It would make good use of my knowledge and my experience. I really enjoy working with actors. Um, and so I just started back then. Uh, you interned mm. and I interned at a couple of offices and I was just incredibly lucky that when I started looking for a job, Allison Jones happened to be looking for someone. And I, it's funny because I had heard in an, in an acting workshop that her, that Phyllis Smith, who had been her associate, right. um, had gotten cast in the office, office and so yeah. now to meet somebody. And I remember, <laughs> I don't think she knows this. And she, I, she, I don't know if she's a podcast listener, but I called the office thinking, well, I'm just going to call and see if they're looking for anybody. And I got, yeah. I don't even know who answered the phone. They're like, no, we're not looking for anybody. Like I was just some random person calling. But at the time you could send your resume to Breakdown Express, Breakdown Services. And then when casting directors were looking for somebody, um, they would have breakdowns, fax over a bunch of resumes. So wow. I was fortunate enough that my resume was in that pile and Allison called me and I went in and uh-huh. had a meeting and she hired me as an assistant uh, on Talladega Nights was my very first oh, wow. job in Cat. And wow. then the second season, I think, of The Office came right after that, whatever season I worked on. Yeah. It's a little, all a bit of a blur. So I was an assistant <laughs> on that and then I became an associate on a few things and, and then eventually just was time to move on to sort of try to grow my own career because I was not, I was not, you know, right out of college. I was kind of a grown up already. So yeah. I was patient, but but it was an amazingly great stroke of luck that I started there because it was so in keeping with my background and she's yeah. legendary and amazing. And yeah, she is I'm very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. So is that the pecking order assistant associate and then casting director? Is that kind of the, the hierarchy? Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And then again, uh, before the laws changed, when it was easier to use interns, a lot of people interned 
either as actors in order to sort of get experience in a casting room mm -hmm. or, um, you know, as a way to get an assistant job because still to this day, when you start on a casting room, you know, they don't hire people until like a day before you're supposed to start. And you kind of have to know everything already. You have to know the systems. You have to know the people. You ah. just have to know how it all works. There's just not time to do a lot of getting up to speed. Right. So in turn, um, unfortunately, that's not really available anymore unless you're in a college program. But there are other ways that, you know, people learn. And now with everybody working remotely, mostly, I think it's a little more there's it's there's more room for learning. Mm. Um, that may or may not be true now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you sort of have to know everything already. And then you become an assistant. And if you do well at that, hopefully you can become an associate. And then sometimes it can be hard to make the leap from associate to casting director. But do it all the time. Yeah. Nice. When did you launch on your own then and in, in the, the relative order of things? 2000. It, it must have been like 2008 because okay. I, I was working as an associate on the first season of a show called Eli Stone. I love that show. Love it. Yeah. And then there was a writer's strike and we worked mm. sort of later than most people because we had all our scripts. And then I was out of a job because nothing was was happening. And I got a job. My first, first thing I did on my own was a little feature called Man Overboard, early 2008, I guess. And then, uh, again, Allison had been called to do a season. I'd been the associate on season six of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And when season came, seven came around, she just, again, was too busy. Mm. So I got to meet on that. And I remember going in to meet with Larry David and Allison had recommended me. And I was also acquainted with Jeff Garland. Who oh, yeah. I'm sure had something to do with my even getting the meeting. And he was clearly very skeptical, as he had every reason to be. But somehow, <laughs> again, he took a chance on me. And I ended up doing season seven and the L.A. half of season eight, um, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah. And that show's still going on, technically. Yeah. Still going on, yes. And Allison is back doing it because she is available again. Which... <laughs> That's great. Now, I, I know that uh, I saw you do have some, definitely have some acting credits and some somewhat recent. So you're still doing it every once in a while. You know, I every now and then something will drop into my lap. Normally when I'm casting, I don't have time. I certainly don't have time to pursue acting work. Right. And I really mostly don't have time to do any of it. Yeah. But, you know, over the pandemic, I had a little more time to do some things. And, uh, yeah, I'm... Um, Certainly, I always enjoy it. It's the most fun. That's great. That's great. I was going to say, when you, when you don't have time to do it because you're so busy, do you find you miss it? I do. I didn't always. I think when I first got into casting, a lot of people said, oh, you're going to hate it. You'll always wish it was you getting the job or getting the audition. Mm. And when I really took a moment to think about that, I realized it wasn't true because, A, I'm not right for most of the roles we cast. B, I really love the process of, of you know, just getting a feel for who's right for something, for somebody's ability of working uh, of, together with an actor to sort of tweak mm. things to get their best performance. I mean, that I find really creative and gratifying. Yeah. So, it wasn't absolutely. Kind of, you know, but but now, then when I had some some downtime, um, you know, it, it is the most fun. Well, it's a different form of expression, right? I mean, I, you know, there, you can find Mark and I, you know, in our history, we're software developers or whatever. But, you know, that that's a creative job in a weird way. And I, I think you can find creativity in almost every role. So it, but it's interesting to kind of switch those hats. And, you know, Absolutely. if you're acting. And, and I, I'm a person who likes variety. So, right. you know, I like to be able to do a, a bunch of different things. 
Well, plus you, you've you been an actor, so you can relate to the people you're casting, right? I mean, that's got to have be a good tool set. That's a great point. I hope so. Well, on, on Parks, you, you cast a lot of really memorable characters, you know, um, really terrific talent in those roles and some pretty famous people these many years later. So what, <laughs> what, what, what's your take on that? Well, some of them were already quite well established. And there were, you know, some people like Jean Ralphio. We, we did read people for that role, but I think they had Ben Schwartz in mind. Mm. Um, and he has told this story, but I remember from my side, you know, we, I read some people. I sent, so basically, just a little side note, the way it worked and works is, you know, we put out a breakdown, agents submit their clients, usually see between 15 and 20, or then we're seeing like 15 or 20 per role, and then sending my selects. Early on, we would have callbacks for some of the bigger roles, but then the writers didn't always have time to step out of the writer's room to come watch the audition. So right. we started just sort of sending selects on tape, and then they would pick somebody, and we'd hire them. Um and so we saw some people for the Jean Ralphia role, uh, but I didn't really understand exactly, you know, I thought it was just some guy who was coming in to interview for a job. Um, and they're like, well, we kind of wrote this for Ben Schwartz, so let's see if, you know, he's available. <laughs> so I offered it to him and they passed. I was like, you know, it wasn't a lot of material. Yeah. You know, he was certainly less well known than he is now, but he'd done a lot. And I thought, well, okay. Uh, it's not a huge role. So I let the producers know. And then they sort of threw back channels because everybody knew him. Yeah. Told him. And he was like, I didn't even know about this. Oh, wow. So uh, fortunately, they were able to contact him directly. And, you know, I don't know if it was his agent or his agent's yeah. assistant, but it just it, it looked like, you know, a little co-star. And I think they just thought, well, he's beyond that now. And so Got it. <laughs> gotcha. So fortunately, that didn't last. I can say we've experienced the agent buffer ourselves as we've tried to get Have guests you? on our show. Of course. Yeah. I mean, sure. you know, we're, we're a relatively small podcast and we're, you know, there's a little, there's another Parks and Rec one out there. It's maybe a little more famous than ours. And, you know, so it's, it's hard to kind of get through that buffer sometimes. And, uh, you know, I yeah. can imagine that's true in, in almost any venue where you're trying to get creative talent. Yeah. And with agents, you know, it's their job to sort of build their clients' careers. And when yeah. somebody's at a certain level, I think sometimes it's very reasonable for them to say no to something smaller. But but on this show, a lot of things were small and a lot of things started small. I think it was maybe the fourth episode of the second season that we were looking for. I just looked it up because I was curious. I think it just said newscaster that turned into Bird Happily. Bird, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I always tell actors, you just always take the job because you just never know what it's going to turn into. And I don't think they had any idea that it would become, you know, however many I have. I can look this up on yeah. IMDb. He did how many episodes? I think it's 18. Uh, he did 31 no episodes. no 31 yeah 31 episodes oh my gosh i had that way that'll, that'll teach you to guess i know well we talked to jay newscast yeah we yeah. talked to him he was a terrific interview as well yeah, he was so great he was great I and bet. uh you know that that's that's his go-to role for sure he even said that you know he, he loves playing that role because he did it as a in real life you know for exactly. so many years so he knows yeah, he, he knows the job something so specific and unique yeah. and, and funny to it that you know and it's not always a good idea. You know, actors sometimes think, I, well, how do I stand out? How can I be different? And, you know, trying to be different is not generally the right approach because mm -hmm. you want to play the role that the writers wrote. But his particular authentic take on that was just so unique. <laughs> it was, you know, pretty undeniable. That's great. 
So, so Dorian, with, with you coming on in season two, um, I, I got to ask, were you responsible for getting uh, Mr. Rob Lowe and Adam Scott uh, coming in as uh, new cast members? Well, some people at that level, you know, the, the writers and producers decide they want to bring in these new characters. And, and they discussed, I think they had discussed who they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was consulted, but I think they, you know, had those people. I can't remember if we made lists for those roles or not. Yeah. Often so, if it's a larger role, you'll just make a list. But I right. feel like they kind of knew who they wanted. And, right. So no one read for those roles outside of those two? No. Okay. I don't believe I get that. And my, I just disclaimer, my memory on all this stuff. It was a long time ago. <laughs> a lot of water under that bridge. That's right. Since then. <laughs> well, I may misremember some things. I think we heard Mark, if I remember, Mike, a Mike Schur interview at Paley Fest or something like that, where he talked about when those guys were coming on. So I, I feel like they were recruited for the role for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think Rob Lowe had just become the, available, yeah. and so yeah. Yeah, but even then, Adam Scott. I mean, he'd certainly been in a number of things, but I, I got to believe. For both of them, despite being well known already, this was still a big, it gave them a big piece of exposure, a big platform, right? I mean, six more yeah, seasons. Yeah, I think, you know, Rob Lowe has certainly done comedy, but I, you know, I think he was mm. coming off a drama. And, right. uh, and I think he only came on sort of temporarily to yeah. sort of certain episodes right. to sort of see how it went. And then it went well. Yeah. Wow. I think it was just the first originally maybe the first six episodes of season three and then he was originally not going to be on the cast and they said oh wait a minute this is working yeah and i think it was mutual yeah right right, yeah. right. what about people like billy eichner or even katherine hahn and paul rudd who ended up having you know recurring roles on here and you know now they're in the marvel universe you know jeez yeah <laughs> uh well with roles like that Generally, I don't know if we read anybody for those roles. I think it was just, you know, making lists of, you know, likely people, good ideas, right. checking their availability, sending the list off to Mike Schur and, you know, sort of looking at who's available, just deciding who to offer it to. Right. Well, Billy Eigner was already obviously doing a lot of stand up. So I, I think he was also. Yeah, we may relatively have read well for that role. Yeah. And he did not read. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think they were just fans of his. Right. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you be? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, we've uh, we've actually had a lot of great guest stars on the show, and we've been very lucky that way. And yeah. We're, we're yeah. interviewing uh, Mary Faber next week, in fact. So. Oh, Mary Faber. Yeah. Nice. She's coming on for, and at this point, we're about to cover season five, and we've got her first big episode with the, you know, the big child size cups. I don't know if you remember that episode. So yeah. Yeah. So we're looking forward to talking to her about that. Yeah. Cool. That'll be fun. She's, she's delightful. Dorian, uh, I know that you said that uh, it's, it's been a while, but for, for, through all the parks and recs episodes that you've, that you've been involved with, do you have a a favorite or is there one that kind of stands out to you? You know, I thought about that because people do tend (laughs) to ask about favorites and I just, I don't think I can. I mean, there was there was one episode. Was it ninety nine meetings or whatever? Some, some oh yeah, ninety four meetings. Ninety four meetings. There was one where we had a huge amount of guest cast. Um, I that might have been the one, or it might have been. I feel like it was that one. I could be wrong. <laughs> um, and stuff like you know, finding townspeople. I, I I feel like my favorite thing was just helping to build the world. And sort of building it out and building it out and building it out and finding people who fit in it and who were, you know, memorable and funny and interesting in their own way. And just sort of 
continuing to uh, expand it, mm. that was my favorite thing. Um, and to see sort of what it became and to just have be, have had the privilege of being a part of it is, you know, that's my favorite part. Right. But, you know, sometimes sometimes we had a, a role or two and sometimes we had 20-something roles. And, and you just got to kind of move fast and get a lot done. But it's, it's exciting and, you know... Um, but a favorite episode is, is tough. Uh, what about a favorite role you cast or maybe somebody who, you know, ended up being bigger or more involved in the show or, or even something that you were kind of surprised by? Hmm. Well, I think Jay Jackson is the, the certainly the first <laughs> first of those because yeah. nobody knew what that would become. And, then, and no, Andy Forrest, who played Kyle. Oh, yeah. You know, he was. Oh, a, yeah. He was he was again, just came in for a, probably a line or two. Yeah. Kevin Simons, who who oh, played yeah. Cancel yeah. Next Heart, brought something yep. so uh, so wonderful to that role. Yep. Uh, he was our first interview, so yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And he was I, terrific. Broader than you think the show can handle, but somehow it was believable from him. Very like true. For him. So, yeah, but, he was great. So you know, that's a tribute to him. I, oh God, Helen Slayton Hughes is oh, yeah. Ethel Beavers. I mean, it just doesn't get <laughs> any better than that. Uh, I saw her at an event a couple of years ago. She looked amazing. That's great. Um, well, okay. There's there's a guy who played Herman Lurpus, named Richard Birch. Okay. Who he is he is just a true out there character <laughs> and individual. So you know you send off an audition like that and you think, well, it's really interesting and funny <laughs> and weird, but can he handle it? And he you know he was a true character as an as an individual, but he he did like how many episodes did he do? Uh, he did 11 episodes. Yeah. That sounds right. Wow. Uh, yeah. um, oh, John Balma, who played Barney, yeah. who I think did interview. Oh. All. Yeah. And I had known him from auditions for this or that. And I always just thought he was wonderful and, and so interesting and funny. Um, so that was a great fit of actor and role. I was really happy Definitely. to see that happen. Yeah. Um, him and Adam Scott as Ben going back and forth oh. was terrific. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. just played yeah. off of each other. So. Yes. And then little things that just sort of came back again and again, you know, uh, Jeffrey Markle, who played Chance, who was always at the meetings, you know, leading the Chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who knew that would be a fun thing? Who else? Who else? What about the the actress who played Brandy Max? Oh, yeah. Mara Marini. Yeah, I I had known her and she just came in and kind of got the essence of that of that character. And so that's a fun thing. Um, uh, Brent Briscoe, the late, wonderful Brent Briscoe, who played JJ of JJ's Diner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Light. It was great. Um, loved him. Always was happy to see him come back. And you don't always know, like, when you're when you're approaching somebody, because I, I know for a fact that they don't know that they're going to be on seven times or six times. Oh, or, absolutely yeah, not. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the writers draw from the world of people when they're right. you know writing future episodes but it's not it's certainly not laid out for the most part you right. know some of the larger roles were intended to recur sure but a lot of them it was just like who can we put at this town hall meeting that's you know gotten outraged by something before <laughs> yeah. dorian i love something that you you said earlier that really resonated with me that that one of the great joys you had was um not even necessarily the big roles, although those are great as well, but, but selecting roles that just kind of fleshed out the, the town. Alan and I have said several times uh, on the podcast and to each other, uh, one of the things we love so much about Parks and Rec is it feels like such, not to be corny, but it feels almost like 
um, you know how with the Simpsons, Springfield feels so fleshed out and such a like almost like it's a living town. Yeah. I'd say the same thing for Pawnee yeah. in a lot of ways. So I mean, well, I mean great I job done that way. And I, I, you know, that's a tribute to Mike Schur and and everybody else on the show. But it was again, it was a privilege to have been a small part of it. Um, yeah, and it, I will say, you know, you send off your your selects. And usually it was Mike who made the, the final choice. I think the, they would watch the auditions in the writer's room and then mm. we would hear from him or his assistant, you know, who, who they chose. Um, and we'd send, you know, six or eight of, you know, from the, from the auditions. Um, and he, he just never makes a wrong choice. I mean, he, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, He's had some good luck. Always, obviously, we don't send anybody <laughs> going to do a great job. Right, right, of course. But... It's nice to be able to trust and have faith that that the showrunner really understands actors and yeah. and knows what's going to make the show come to life. Yeah, yeah, and he definitely. I mean, we've talked about him in general on other Mike Sure shows that we love, and you know, he just they always have that certain heart, I guess, and they tend to find actors who do well and kind of embodying those types of characters. It's not always yeah. just about the funny, you know. Well, no, you're you're trying to create a believable, you know, backdrop for all of the antics of right. the characters. Absolutely, right. So, so tell us a little bit about your singing. I, I noticed on your website oh, that. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I listened to like three or four songs, and 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 you have a great voice. So, oh, thank you. You know, I, 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 as I said, I used to be an actor, and I did a lot of improv and sketch, and I did a lot of song improvisation. Um, and I just found when I got busy with other things that when I wasn't doing something musical, I really missed it. I'm not, mm. a, I play a little bit of guitar. I'm not great at playing anything, but I love writing songs. I feel like if I could improvise songs, I guess I can write songs. Um, and I like singing. So I just, over the years, I wrote a bunch of songs and recorded. There are, tw- I think, 24 songs out there right now. <laughs> and I'm working on another bunch. Oh, wow. So those cool. will be coming at some point when we finish them. Um, and I also wrote a couple songs for a clown puppet that are out in the world. So uh, that was a fun thing. I, it's Again, it's something I really enjoy doing. And when I'm very busy with work, it's not something I have time for. So Of course. Yeah. You know, try to spend time for that stuff. Too. That's fun. Well, I was just curious. Um, you know, we're talking about you singing. Do you also write the, the music yeah. and the lyrics? Are you involved with all aspects of that? Yes. So I write the... The lyrics and the melody, basically, and I put basic guitar chords to it so that I, I record with uh, a producer and musician who is an amazing musician. He can, you know, play lots of different instruments, and so I bring in the song. I'll just either play it on guitar or, and I have the chords and I have the melody and I have the lyrics, and then then I need other people to do the uh, the playing and the assembly. I'm not as good at that. Very cool. That's great. You know, I was going to ask about casting, you know, not not necessarily parks or even, you know, outside of parks because you've got such a great resume. You know, has there been, you know, a, a favorite casting job or maybe a toughest assignment you've had finding the right character, you know, just to, to get, hit the right nuance of what the, you know, the producers were looking for? It's always, there are always roles that are a challenge. Uh, I did a show called Eagle Heart about 10 years ago. It was for Adult Swim with Chris Elliott. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, it's, in my, it's on my mind because I just did another a Peacock series for uh, the, the one of the executive producers of that, so Jason Moliner. Um, there's a new show that we just worked on. And, 
you know, he, he definitely has a vision and sometimes that is a hard person to find, but it's, mm. you know, it's in service of making the show great. And Eagleheart was a weird ass show that not everybody <laughs> knows. It is awesome. So, you know, you sort of feel good about putting in the work to find the right people because it, it, right. it's for a reason. Um, I remember doing Kroll show and we, I came oh, yeah. in in the second season of that. Love that show. We were going to a production meeting and it was everybody had been in there the first season except for, for me and my associate. And everybody was just so happy to be back and to be working on the show. I, there was something really special about that show. Mm. Everybody was amazing. A lot of weird stuff to find. Again, a lot of small roles, but people had to be great. Um, but just the, the sort of the goodwill and the enthusiasm of that whole crew was amazing. I will say, you know, Baskets is a particular favorite because it's, yeah. I, I did it from the very, very beginning, the, the pilot, mm. which there wasn't even a script when we started reading actors. They wow. just said, well, here are some characters, have them improvise something like that. And those characters didn't even end up being in the show. <laughs> but I did that from beginning to end. And there was just such a very special feeling about that show. I love it so much. So that was that was a, a great honor to be part of. Well, how do you do um, that? Like, I mean, you're just looking for somebody who's going to play well with Zach at that point, or like, you know, if you what are the? Well, I guess what, what? there was a script coming. Okay. Uh, but also, they wanted people who could improvise. Okay. So I think they just they just gave me some ideas of characters, and I you know put some scenes together and had people come in and do some fun stuff and. That didn't, again, that didn't end up being really what the show was, but it was a place to start. Right. Um, what other shows? Um, I mean, Curb Your Enthusiasm was amazing. I just did two and a half seasons, but, and I did, one of them was as an associate, but that was, you know, really, really fun to be in the room with uh, actors and Larry David. That yeah. was pretty cool. I mean, that's also uh, semi-scripted, correct? Not scripted. Uh, not at all. all. Improvised, okay. But there is a, there is an outline. Okay. That's what I heard. Um, okay. So the the story is crafted, but the dialogue is not written. So the actors will get blurb, sort of just telling them what the scene is, what the character is, just a couple sentences, and then they, for the most part, at least then, unless it's a very small role, everybody came in to improvise with him. Wow. Um, and he was always very kind and appreciative, which, appreciative, which I really appreciated. Sure. Uh, and but people, you know, sometimes people would try to be interesting or funny and they wouldn't really play the scene that was in the blurb. And that tends to not work because that scene, you know, sets up all the rest of the stuff in the episode. It's sure. all it all has to work together. So if they start throwing in random facts that have nothing to do with anything. So that was that was an interesting thing to try to guide actors to, like, just play the scene that they wrote. Don't <laughs> right. get, get creative, but don't tell a different story. Uh -huh. um, so that was unique because it was it was all improvised. Um, I mean, well, working on Veep was amazing. I, you know, it doesn't get better than that. I bet. Yeah. That was a beast of a show. Yeah. But, you know, everybody's there to bring their A game all the time because why wouldn't you? You have to. Um, oh, and Marin. Marin was really a lovely show to work on. Um, and it's great to see how how well he's you know, how much success he's had. Yeah. I think he was sort of figuring out how to be an actor through that show somewhat and did a great job. Yeah. I hear he's got a podcast too. So. Uh, yeah. 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 It's only like in the top five for, for 12 years now. So. 
Well, you just said something I found interesting. So do you feel protective of the people you cast? Do you feel like you kind of check out how it's going for them and like kind of where, where does it end for you, I guess, maybe is a different way of asking that. Well, generally, once they tell us who they've chosen, we hire them and then we pass it on to production and they sort of, you know, schedule. So some shows I was on set a little bit. Mostly I wasn't at the same place as where they were shooting. So mostly we're not on set. So we don't necessarily get to sort of check out how everything's going, unless it's a multicam, which I've done very little of. Right. Um, Interestingly, you know, Every now and then something will not go well and then you hear about it. But you don't usually <laughs> hear when somebody was amazing. Um, but, I, you know, you know when people are are doing well or, you know, appreciated because sometimes they get brought back. Sure. I mean, I always I always hope for people to have a good experience and to do well and to get more work from it. Um, you know, sometimes people send notes or I'll run into people. And often I will say many of the shows I've I've been able to work on actors have said it was just the best working experience of my life Mm. i felt you know appreciated i felt welcome i felt um that people wanted me to bring my ideas um which isn't always the case you know i remember on basket so many people said oh i just had the best time ever (laughs) um but on Parks and Rec as well i mean people had a wonderful time working on that show because everybody on the show was really happy to be there yeah we've heard that a lot Um, it was a happy set and and people were were knew knew they had something special yeah so that's i think what what makes me really uh feel great is when actors say they had a a wonderful experience working on a show and that has happened a lot that's great very nice yeah yeah what what advice would you give somebody maybe just starting out in the business as a young actor or an actor coming in a little later as some people do so Sure. I, I think it's all about the quality of your work. Mm. Um, I, you know, people often say, how do I get, you know, people are always trying to figure out how to get around the system. Like, you know, how do I get an agent? How do I get auditions? How do I get people to notice me? And often, you know, people, there are so many people who, who are looking to, you know, spend actors money for them, you know, <laughs> um, and people put a lot of time and energy and resources into pictures and marketing and all of these things. And I just, I just think it's so important for people to understand that it really does come down to the quality of your work and the audition. Um, because sometimes people do all that work and when they, they finally get the audition, they're not at a level where they're, they're able to compete. Um, and, I remember I was doing a, I was on a panel once and somebody asked me, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, get remembered by you? I mean, how do I get, you know, how do I get around all the, all the gatekeepers? And what I, what I, what I didn't think of to say, but thought of in the car later. So I say it every time I have the chance now is <laughs> maybe 98% of the people I've hired were hired because they had an agent or a manager who submitted them appropriately and in a timely fashion. They were right. They seemed right for the role. Yeah. They were submitted. They were. They auditioned. They auditioned well. They made the the cut of people that we sent off to the producers. They were chosen and they were hired. Almost everybody I've hired is hired through that process, through that process, not by going around it. Uh-huh. So you know, I do my best to pay attention to what people are doing and who's out there and who's on what show and who's new and interesting and 
there are people that I've been a fan of for a really long time that nobody ever hired and now they're big and famous and that's <laughs> always gratifying to see because yeah. it's like aha I was right <laughs> yep. I called uh, it I used to bring in Tiffany Fetish for stuff all the time and everyone was like ah she's too much it's like mm, she's so great <laughs> um but many, many people who I've, I've seen sort of rise up that I early on had a, a feeling about. And, you know, you start to wonder, it's like, am I just as people are not seeing what I'm seeing? But um, I feel like I answered three different questions halfway. There. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it's just you, I can't say that if you're just really good, everything else will fall into place. But if you're not, it won't. Mm. So focus on that. And there aren't really any shortcuts. You just got to put in your time and do yeah. the work and find the best training and the best support and get the best pictures you can and, you know, have your reel be. There's so many actors with reels where I like I can't hear them. I can't see them or there's a lot of other uh. people that I even don't. So <laughs> it just your materials have to sort of show who you are at your best. And it takes time to get that stuff sometimes. But you just you start where you are. And you just keep building. Make sure you add some polish to it. Well, yes. You know, there's no point in sending off something that doesn't show you to be at a level where somebody's going to want to hire you. Right. That makes sense. That's great. Well, hopefully during COVID, you know, we've all kind of figured out how to telecommute, teleport, all the, uh, you know, tele everything. So hopefully people have gotten a little better. I mean, shoot, an iPhone's a pretty good camera these days. So, um, yeah. And, you know, there there's a lot of discussion among actors about self-taping. Some people, many actors hate it mm. um, because it requires a lot of additional skills that they may not have acquired. Um, but also, you know, people really miss being in the room and getting direction and seeing people in the waiting room. And it was a really it's a it was a very full experience that mm. a lot of a lot of which is gone now. And I totally understand people missing it and feeling like you know they they just tape something at home they send it off to the void they never hear anything and so it's yeah. it's a lot less uh gratifying in a lot of ways a lot but less there's personal. a good yeah. of that is you, you you are more in control of what you're having people mm. watch um i think probably casting directors are seeing more people so your odds are smaller per role if that's the case but you also have many more you know maybe more opportunities um i just I think the business has changed. I think the casting process has changed. It will maybe go back somewhat, but it's not going to go back exactly to the way it was. So right. whether or not actors uh, enjoy the self-taping process, I think it would be advisable to find a way to make it work if, if you know, if you want to keep going, because I don't think it's going away. <laughs> And I, and I will say, I, I saw something in some actor posted saying, you know, it's the casting directors are just being lazy. Why don't they do everything live on Zoom? But, you know, it's way more complicated than that. You know, you're hired by a studio or a network or whatever, you know, and you're given a certain. You know, we used to be, uh, I used to have my own office, but often they will include providing office space. You know, nobody's mm. doing that because nobody's in an office. And it's just the time. You know, people are at looking for more work in less time. I think for the most part, casting directors are doing the best they can, and they're certainly not trying to screw actors. I think most casting directors love and appreciate actors, sure. um, but I think it's sometimes hard to see the other side of it. So sure. I think if we all just, you know, assume that everyone's doing their best and that 
no disrespect is intended all sometimes i suppose it is but generally it's not <laughs> uh, let's all just you know stay positive try to have some fun that's all you can do that's great well said i like it yeah so you don't have to have an agent to get in front of a casting director or you do i'm still well, a little confused about that generally honestly. you do yeah um, okay there, there are a lot of projects that put things out directly to actors, but mm. all of the sort of streamers and the studio network projects and the, you know, the more high profile things, the yeah. union things, the, you sure. know, more established projects, the, as opposed to the little independent things or big independent things, I don't <laughs> want to, you know. Um, generally, we need, if they're union, we need to hire union actors unless there's a very specific reason not to. Mm -hmm. And generally, you know, you, there's no time to go through 10,000 submissions. I put out a role to agents and managers, and I already get 2,000 uh, submissions per wow. role. So wow. it's not that I don't want to give an opportunity to somebody newer. It's that I don't need more than 2,000 <laughs> submissions generally per role. Right. I can find it. Um, and I do need people who have the skill and the experience to show up on a set and be able to just get right to it, not need a lot of explaining or hand-holding. I mean, yeah. there's a learning curve and, you know, the time is always very tight. I mean, you, you need people who are, you know, comfortable just showing up, taking direction, you know, not not needing to be taken care of. And I, it, so it's, you know, we use agents and managers as a way to sort of vet people as well and narrow the pool a little bit to more experienced actors. So it can be hard when you don't have an agent. Um, there are many projects you can still submit yourself for. And, you know, hopefully you do good work and you will find an agent. There are, I used to do workshops sometimes and I would show people at the end the list of people submitting um, on each, on a project. And there are just hundreds of agencies and management companies and they may not all be prestigious, yeah. but that doesn't matter. You know, we need good people for small roles and I need to look to I always look at all the submissions. I know some people maybe curate their lists a little, and it depends mm. on the role, depends on the project. Um, but as someone who does a lot of comedies with small roles that we need great people for, and great people who are willing to do a line or two for scale, which is, you know, big agencies don't have those people. <laughs> so, um, again, you start where you are, you just keep taking the work, or taking the audition, you do your best. Um, but this is a sort of a backhanded way to encourage people there are plenty of people who are represented who aren't that great yet um so i just feel like you know it's not easy it is not yeah. easy to find good representation or representation at all but people do it people do it yeah. every day and so you just got to keep at it but yes I, it it many roles you really do need to be represented unless there's a very specific reason Dorian, we always try to ask, you know, um, it, what can you share? What's next for you? Or I know sometimes you're working on projects you can't talk about, but what what, uh, what can you tell us about? Well, there are two things that have not come out yet. I, I worked on um, a, I don't even know how to say this. It hasn't been announced yet. It's, it's an animated series, which is our first uh, foray into animation. It's a wonderful show it's for a streaming service. Mm. I don't believe it's been announced yet, but it's, uh, it's, it's a very cool, beautiful, subtle, poignant animated series coming out someday. <laughs> I don't know when. Um, and then I did a Peacock series that's a six-episode sort of hybrid based on a real person who had an experience and he wrote a book. 
mm. and then tried to get people to make his story. And this series is sort of a combination of the truth and sort of fictionalized mm. scenes from the book. It sort of takes, it, I don't even, as you can see, I'm having trouble describing <laughs> it. And it doesn't have a title yet. So, and I don't know when that's coming out, but we finished that in June. Um, but I think it's going to be wild and fun and completely unlike anything else. Wow. So there are two unnamed things you can look out for. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you mentioned animation. Mm -hmm. What's different about casting for voice work? Do you get to do that versus on-screen work? Well, I did this one series. Um, okay. I will say for me, you know, it was, it was a great pandemic job because it's all audio. You know, you don't mm. didn't see anybody in person. Um, and you, you know, you put out the roles to agents and they'll just have their clients record. So it's not, we don't, we didn't select who was going to audition. So it was a lot of listening to a lot of auditions and just trying to sort of understand, you know, what the creator had in mind for the role and sent him a, some good options. And, you know, some of the larger roles we offered to people and then a lot of them we auditioned. So similar process, just the fact that we're not necessarily selecting 20 people to come in. We may listen to a hundred people. Right. And we're relying on agencies to send us their best. That makes sense. So I know in a, a normal reel, an actor might do a couple different takes trying to show their, their range. Do they do that in the voice work here as well? Or do they have something specifically that they're trying to hit based on the description? I think, no, I think, you know, every, every casting director has their own procedures and mm -hmm. I, it's been a long time since I've worked with any or for anyone else. So I don't, almost don't know how people are doing things anymore, <laughs> but I think sometimes they, they want a couple takes and sometimes they just want one. And sometimes agencies will sort of direct their clients to do a couple of different ones. I mean, we just sort of listen to whatever people sent, but I know a lot of times they're very specific about what they're asking for. Yeah. So, but you always, you know, as an actor, you always want to sort of bring your take on something. A part of what we're hiring is, is not just your ability to act well, but also to understand the material and understand what you think works and to have sort of a vision or idea. Right. Because you don't want an empty vessel who's just waiting to be told what to do. You want somebody who's going to contribute um, their own perception of, of what works for the character of this. That's great. Well, thanks again for agreeing to talk today. It's been great. You know, I've, I've learned Absolutely. a lot. I mean, uh, I think yeah. the casting process was an enigma to me before today. So uh, ah, this is well, great. I'm happy to share. I'm happy to, you know be useful or helpful in any way if possible. And um, yeah, it's really fun to talk to you guys. It's been so fun to just sort of revisit this in my mind because it really was, you know, uh, a very special thing to be part of and I'm very fond of the whole world. And so it's been, it's been a treat to revisit it. Well, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Doran. We've had a blast. We look forward to your your projects. We'll try to figure out what they are. Okay. Based on no title. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dorian. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, we're back. Well, there you have it, folks. Our interview with Dorian Frankel. What'd you think, Alan? 
You know what? Honestly, again, I, I, I did. I learned a lot. I enjoyed talking to Dorian. She was super nice and polite, like you said, at the top of the show. And uh, I thought she was another great guest. I, I know it sounds like we say this every time, but, uh, you know, we, we've been very lucky. Well, yeah. And, and we've said that in all seriousness several times as well. We've been extremely blessed with, with uh, how many uh, uh interesting and, and gracious guests that we've had on the show and and this was certainly uh, no exception she was she was very nice she was very friendly and she was you know yeah. able to basically answer all the questions we had oh which yeah is pretty cool well you know and, and too I know that you know we we've we probably have two camps out there the people just like the episodes and then the people who really love the interviews as well so you know for me I like doing both I mean I think this is maybe our 12th or 13th spotlight now yeah that and sounds right. uh, I know that's one thing that we do in our show that not everyone else does we, we've really enjoyed it and I, I know if no one else cares i've learned a lot about directing now writing the show decorating for the show casting for the show plus we've talked to you know at least i don't know eight or ten on-screen stars so again thank you to all of those folks we it's really helped us get to i think to this hundred thousand mark we've been celebrating here for the last couple of weeks I, I absolutely agree well well said the the only the only correction i'd make sir alan is that I, I believe we actually have three uh groups of fans you know oh, what was the, the third the, the third is the the fans of constantine's comedy corner <laughs> oh yeah the the fan i'm sorry i should have said that <laughs> Yeah, it could be plural. We don't know. It's, it's pretty much you. <laughs> God. Oh, gosh. All right, everybody. Well, next week, we'll be back with our coverage of Season 5, Episode 2, Soda Tax. And uh, we've got and another... I'll be here drinking from my child-sized cup. <laughs> Mark, that is that is the size of a liquefied child. That's right. They can fit right in there. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, again, you know, reach out to us on the website. Tell us how you think we're doing. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter or the Instagrams, uh, any yep. way you want to get to us. And we really appreciate you listening. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next. Week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompani.com for more details or to contact us.